Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NFL Roadshow, going deep into the weeds on a single topic today, a topic that had a massive effect on Sunday's games and the Monday game and the Thursday game. Guys, we're talking kicking. There were 26 missed kicks this week. That is the most in a single week since 1987. And while 13 of those were field goal attempts of varying lengths with guys like Calais Campbell trying to stop them, just as many of them were PATs. That has never happened before in the Super Bowl era. 13 missed point-after attempts in one week. And then there was that Packers-Bengals game that was a story in and of itself. Mason Crosby, a perfect 27 for his last 27 field goal attempts going in, combining with Cincinnati's Evan McPherson to miss five field goal attempts in a span of eight minutes before he finally made one in overtime, Crosby did, to win the game. We all saw the comments from non-kickers, in fact, a lot of non-athletes commenting, how hard is it to make a kick, to find a guy that can make a kick? And that's always their response, it seems, when a kick is missed, as if it is not hard and there are no variables in play and the expectation of perfection is perfectly reasonable. And yet it clearly is hard or else more people in the peanut gallery would do it because it pays handsomely. And teams are always looking for people, always bringing in kickers. But this conversation has always fascinated me. And I've had it with a number of different athletes, in fact, who have had varying degrees of empathy for the job of a kicker. Um, I've never had the conversation about kicking, though, with an actual kicker. So today, I'm going to have it with two. Matt Stover, who kicked in the NFL for 19 years, won two Super Bowls with the Ravens, is in their ring of honor was just there at that game on Monday, in fact, to welcome Haloti Nata into that club. I'm also talking to Blair Walsh, who kicked in the NFL for six seasons, most notably for the Vikings, where he set an NFL record at the time with 12 straight successful field goal attempts of 50 yards or more. He also famously missed a kick that was far shorter, 27 yards, against the Seahawks in the 2016 playoffs. They've both experienced the highs and lows of the position, And I'm very curious to get their thoughts on the Sunday that we just saw and the state of kicking in the NFL in general. So without further ado, let's kick this thing off. I'm sorry, that was awful. It's time now to break the huddle. Hurry up, let's go! Two on two on two, ready? Blair and Matt, thank you guys so much for making this happen. I appreciate it. Um, Blair, I want to start with you. Watching that day unfold Sunday with all the missed kicks, what is that like for a kicker? Loaded question. Um, right. For us, that's just that's our nightmare to to miss kicks in big moments and big situations. And I think it was almost that I, I've always thought there's almost some feeling that these guys must get from stadium to stadium where you know people are missing around the league and. Sometimes they even show it in the stadiums. They'll show the, the, the big misses on the screen. So I, I do feel like there is a little bit of a presence that guys understand what's going on um, around the league. But yesterday was just kind of one of those, or Sunday, I should say, was one of those random days we get every couple of years where it's just guys are missing all over the place and, and crucial kicks. So it was, it was tough to see it magnified. Well, Blair, it wasn't just Sunday. It was yesterday too, actually, because Matt was at the uh, Ravens game where – We saw some missed kicks by the Colts kicker. The trend just continued. You said right when you hopped on and were saying hi that you had just finished watching Crosby's missed kicks and your heart rate was up. I mean, it's like what Blair said, it's your worst nightmare. (laughs) 
And it really well, is. I, I've lived it. I, I have. I went over three on, on Sunday Night Football 2005. Date myself a little bit there, Blair. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I went over three. And it was just one of those days that I just didn't figure out what I was doing. And mentally, I went out there thinking I was hitting the ball clean. And they just want two miss left, one miss right. You know, thinking I ever corrected it and missed it right. And then I, I, you know, at that point, I took full responsibility for it. Um, snaps and holds were fine. Didn't care about the wind. It was all about execution. And uh, so I took responsibility, manned up, and said it's not going to happen again. And it didn't. I mean, I missed one field goal for the remainder of the season. That was game one. You know, starting game one over three, Blair, it makes it a long season, right? And it makes that fourth kick the next game really difficult. And I can still smell the air from that, that fourth kick, which is a 42-yarder right hash at home. And, you know, I made it and it was like, thank goodness. I mean, you know, that sense of relief behind it. But, you know, as a kicker, you thrive on those situations and you're not looking at it as if I go out there and have a nightmare day. That's not how you ever approach the game. You approach, you can't, you approach the game as if you're going to get the game winner. And uh, so, and if you miss in the first quarter, you got to let that go as fast as you can. You know, that's easier said than done, right, Blair? But, you know, sometimes you hang on to it. And what Blair was saying earlier is exactly right. Uh, you know the environment you're around, and sometimes you show up on a screen, somebody choking on at another game, and you see that, and that thought comes into your head. It's tough to capture it sometimes and get it out of there. And that most likely, I mean, knowing Mason, I coached him when he was 13, 14, and 15 down in Georgetown, Texas. Um, I know the kind of kid he is, and he's a high, high-integrity guy, but he's human like all of us. Remember, he only missed, what, two field goals for the last couple of years? I mean, the guy's been phenomenal, so you can't blame it on his talent. It was just a bad day, and, you know, the real character will show up how he, how he performs from here on. I totally agree with you, Matt. And and to to piggyback off the Mason um, thing, Green Bay does something fascinating that I wished more NFL teams did. And they're really they're really really slow to pull the trigger on Mason and to bring in competition and to make him feel like his job is up in the air. And I do really wish more teams did that. And it's not necessarily from an accountability standpoint on the kickers. We all know that we have to perform, and we all know that you're only one bad game, one bad kick away from being cut. But sometimes you see these teams where they have a guy who's super talented, high draft pick, whatever it is. He's got one bad game and they cut him and you're going, it, you wouldn't do that for other positions. Why is it necessarily him? So for me, I, I've always respected how Green Bay treated him. I think it was 2011 where he had his disastrous year and he bounced right back and has been one of the best in the league since. So I always feel like those organizations who preach patience all the way through, there's no reason it shouldn't happen for the kickers as well. How much of what you guys do is mental? <laughs> well, when you're out there on the game, I'm going to say 80%, right, Blair? I mean, yeah, you got to go out there mindless and just react. If you're out there thinking too much, um, you're, you're going to fail. Um, and I, I don't mind to tell you, it is the greatest battle that a kicker has is, is compartmentalizing the situation and being able to go out there and execute, you know, mentally and physically, but it, it, it it's, it's reaction time. It's like a soldier in the army. You've trained it so much. You can go out there and just react to the situation in front of you. Yep. Completely agree with that. Let me ask you this. Cause so this might be a stupid analogy, but I have always thought the way that people respond to kickers and missed kicks, lack of success when it happens with regard to kicking is so different than the amount of empathy that they offer to like a golfer. Like a golfer is also doing something that feels fairly static 
right? Like the ball isn't moving, the hole isn't moving. You can practice your swing and that repetitive motion. There is an element of similarity when it comes to kicking, but also golfers don't have 300 pound guys trying to hit them while they're doing it. And by the way, also have like this accepted notion of silence so that you can focus. Um, but you guys don't get that benefit of the doubt. But when people watch somebody miss a, um, you know, a big golf swing or like a, a putt or something like that, they're like, oh yeah, I get it. That's hard. And I, I think, and maybe this is an awful analogy. I'm not a golfer, but I think that part of the thing there is that so many people are golfers. And since they do it and they know how hard it is, they give the benefit of the doubt to the golfer who doesn't come through in that moment because they too can't do that. Whereas you guys do something that so few people have actually done that they can't relate. And so that same level of empathy is not extended to you guys. That's a great analogy, Lindsay. I've never really thought about the fact that, that people have empathy for golfers because they know how hard it is directly. Yeah, you're, you're really right. Nobody really kicks a football seriously on a serious level in, in competitive sports. Um, I think Matt will attest to this. Part of the reason why people are quick to judge kickers is because as kickers have evolved and gotten better, the good ones make it look really, really easy and simple. Mm. And, you know, you watch the Ravens guy, you watch Tucker hit a ball and you're like, why, why can't everyone do that? It looks simple. It looks easy. And then you see a guy struggle and, and you realize it's really not that easy. There's moving parts. You're fighting your mind, the elements, whatever. Um, so it is funny that the, the, the more it evolves and the easier it looks, the harder people are, are on the guys when they, when they suffer and when they don't do well. 1999, Lindsay, uh, Brian Billick starts this thing called Guest Kicker. And on Fridays, this is my, what, 10th year in the league. And this is on Fridays. You know, Fridays are kind of an off day for kickers. We do a few little kicks here and there. But he brings out a guest kicker. And the guest kicker is there to make 300 bucks for a, 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 an extra point, right? And I'm sitting there going, like, like what are you doing, man? Are you trying to get, get me out of here? He says, I'm doing you a favor, Stover. Everybody's going to find out how hard your job is. <laughs> is <laughs> that the way true. it played out? Yeah. And it's true because uh, Haloti Nada could kick a football because he played rugby when he was a kid, right? So, I mean, a big old 300-pounder, when you get one of those guys, they can boot it. Ed Reed could kick a football, but nobody else could kick a football. And it really did add a, a sense of respect because uh, there's always those games in a, in a particular season that you, you'll miss a field goal and your team looks like, what the heck? So all you do is kick all day. Uh, yeah, you get your butt out there and you try it. You see what it's like, you know. Uh, and, and Lindsay, your, your analogy is right because I have a Division One golfer as a son right now. And uh, it, it, I, I will tell you, I empathize on that three-foot putt every single time because I know how hard it is. Uh, and, and, you know, think about a kicker too. Everybody can evaluate a kicker in the stadium. It's a, it's a, it's either good or no good. There's no subjectiveness to it, and so the the ability to evaluate your job is extremely vulnerable and exposed to everybody in the stadium who's watching on TV. Larry, you talked about the different components that go into this, right? What are some of the many things that can go wrong on a kick? What are the different components uh, there? Where do you want to start? Um, <laughs> You know, obviously snap and hold is huge. Um, certain organizations really take pride in having great snappers and, you know, make sure their punter is a good holder. It's part of their evaluation process when they sign, draft, whatever, uh, employ their punter. They want to know how good of a holder is. Uh, some teams work on it more than others, too. I, I remember when we were in Minnesota, we actually would bring out the low jugs and 
fire him to our punter so he could get reps without having to snap or snap a hundred balls. And he could get real good at it. And uh, I mean, it makes a difference. I think the execution standpoint, it's huge for a kicker's confidence. If he knows that that snap and and hold are going to be there nine out of 10 times, he's great. When it starts to go awry is when you see these guys, you know, slow down or take, take a change to their approach. And and it brings in, in other factors you don't want to have, but I think the analogy made earlier with golf and kicking, the main difference I would say is that golf, you're very static and still, and you can back off it and you can decide when you want to make that shot. Whereas in kicking, you're relying on something coming at you and stopping and being put still while you're moving at it. And that's a, that's a tricky uh, timing piece to get correct. And, and the guys who do it really well, really understand that. It's also an oblong ball, right? <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is a slightly <laughs> different thing than hitting a round ball. Yep. Even I know that. But think about this as I'm going to say this, and and I can really, Blair, hitting a golf ball and playing in high level, it's way harder than kicking a football. (laughs) I'm going to just flat up because you got sister played in college. So I I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. 14 clubs, a putter, a driver, different lies, different greens, sand. You know, you got all these variations. Whereas a kicker, you got to kick the ball straight, period. You don't have to hook it. You kick it straight. And I went out there. I learned how to kick on. And in the 1990s to 2002, fields were terrible. They All the stadiums were being. And I had to learn how to kick on slop and make still make the field goal. So I went out there with a seven iron every single time. I didn't go. And sometimes a nine iron. Right, Blair? Mm-hmm. I didn't go out there with a four or five iron. You can't. Because if you do, you're pushing harder. You're slipping and sliding in the ball. And you're a little further away from the ball. And you're going to miss the field goal. So I learned how to make. That's how I made it in the league as long as I did. Was that I knew how to make it in every condition from 48 yards and in. So I understood my my restrict. So I took those right. clubs out of my bag. So I wasn't known, Blair, as a long-distance kicker. The snapper and holder in the 1990s through two, in 1999, it was my first year I had a true deep snapper. That position alone makes the holder better. The better the holder is, the more efficient that is in front of you, the more you can attack the ball. There's no gap in time. It's immediate. If you watch uh, what Tucker has 100% of the time, the snap is snapped over the spot of where the ball's supposed to go. And the laces are in front 100% of the time. And he sets the ball down perfectly. So Tucker can wail on that ball every time. I'm going to tell you my first 10 years, not even, there's no way. You couldn't because you didn't know what you were going to get in front of you 75% of the time. It was laces spinning. It was leaning. It was back. It was slipping and sliding. So the last part of my career, you know, I was 92% because I had a snapper and a holder in good field. It's so funny you brought that up, Matt. I, I don't understand why more teams don't at least try to do the snap over the spot. And I know we're getting pretty nerdy here, Lindsay, and Please. real technical. But no, do uh, it. That's what I want. It's yeah. eyes. You're seeing the ball longer. That's why, I mean, that's not why Justin Tucker has so much success. He's an, ex- an exceptional guy. But it definitely helps contribute him to see that ball the entire time come from the snapper right to the holder's hands right over the spot i mean i've been on teams where they taught the guys to snap it into their body for safety and bring it back down and i only saw the ball for a split second so it does make a difference seeing it the whole time and i and let's be real it's less than eight yards I, i think it's a pretty repeatable thing if you get two guys that are really good at it it's a repeatable thing and you know, and Lindsay, real quick, yeah. if you look at the best kickers in the league, look at their snaps and hold every single, every single well, week. Well, that's what I was actually going to bring up because Matt LaFleur said uh, on Monday, 
talking about Mason Crosby's struggles on Sunday, he said, look, it wasn't all on Mason Crosby and I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but go back and watch the film. We all have to do a better job. Is that what he was talking about? And you obviously just watched the kicks, Matt. If it's a timing mechanism, absolutely. If the timing is off, if the ball's not set up and your eyes are seeing it, you are adjusting in midair. You are already in midair going and attacking that ball and it will mess with you. And you miss it like the way he does. He was punching at it pretty bad if you watched it, Blair. And that's not Mason. He's not a puncher. And that means that he had to correct and then attack thinking that he needed to do that instead of being just smooth and fluid. If you ask any golfer, the main, main thing they have to do is stay on tempo. Stay on tempo, stay on tempo, stay on tempo. You're just out there reacting. You've already picked the club in the shot. Stay on tempo and you'll make a better shot every time. I, man, I wish I had some coaches like Matt LaFour talking about snapping and holding no after kidding. that day, kicking. Yeah. <laughs> what is, what, what are your stories, uh, you know, good and bad about coaches and the way that they responded to you after the games? I'm sure Matt has, uh, Matt played longer than I did. So I'm sure Matt has some serious stories. Um, I, I, you know, I've had coaches that understood it better than others. Uh, I think my first coach in the league, Leslie Frazier, who's now a D coordinator at Buffalo, is, you know, he loved kicking he respected kicking and he kind of understood what we went through so anytime he was almost overly positive where it was you know you had a bad game or a bad moment and he's telling you no it's not a big deal I remember they give out game balls for wins a lot auto teams do he loved kicking so much one year that he gave me a game ball for a 43 yarder and two extra points I was like coach what are we doing here I appreciate it but come on Well, hey, I grew up underneath uh, my first year was with Bill Parcell. And and he flat out told me, Stover, I didn't want to draft a kicker. I didn't want to draft you. You better prove prove me right. You know, there you go. Or prove me wrong. And and then Belichick was the next five years after that. So I had him in Cleveland when he was 35 years old. But what I did respect about uh, Bill Belichick is the fact that he was a special teams coach for seven years. So he had a tremendous amount of respect for the position and the role that I played. And because if you know Bill, he's a very loyal guy. And kicking in Cleveland as a first-year player, because I didn't kick as a rookie, but uh, the second year I did in Cleveland, and he gave me time to fail because he saw that I had the tools. Um, And he, like what Blair said at the very beginning, I had a coach that stuck with me and didn't panic when I had a bad day or missed a field goal I shouldn't have. And he wanted to see how I was going to react. And so this guy was amazing with putting me to the test in practice and giving me opportunities to see. And by my third year, so 91, 92, I kicked and I had a 73% career. Blair, you're cut right now at 73%, right? Oh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> right. And then I went to 83, then I went to 92, then I went to 95, and then I went to 98. You know, I just kept going up and up after that and became one of the most accurate because he was willing to stick it out with me. Um, and having coaches like that mean a lot to kickers because you, the fear of being cut does mess with you and you have to get over that fear. And if you know, you got a coach has got your back to a point, then you feel more confident out there when you're on the field. It's just the way it is. It's, it's just reality. Let me ask you this. You said that he saw that you had the tools. What are the tools that coaches should be looking for to know that they have a kicker that they should give a longer leash to? How do you react after a failure? Okay. Period. You're going to fail. What type of backbone do you have after that comes about your way? What kind of character do you have that I can trust long term? I mean, what's your behavior off the field? Because they're going to know. And mm-hmm. so if you're not a guy that's steering it straight and you're out there missing field goals, 
your, your leash is going to be a whole lot shorter. So I always try to conduct myself well, but also you have to have the talent. Blair will tell you, you got to be able to kick the ball and uh, you got to be able to execute on those game winners. And I missed a few game winners. I've missed three of them. They hurt every time. Mm-hmm. But over 20 years, I probably hit 28, 30. I don't know what I hit, but it was a lot. And you just got to hit more than, you know, you miss. That's for sure. Stop lying. You know exactly how many game winners you hit. <laughs> 28. <laughs> is that true? That, that really is? Oh, my gosh. I had to. You've had an excellent career, Matt. I had to do that. <laughs> Sixth all time in made field goals, 471 for you, Matt. What was your most memorable missed kick? Uh, the missed kick that I, I remembered most, uh, you know, I would have to say, it was a 47-yard game winner against Miami in Miami, right hash. It was perfect day. Blair, I jumped on it. I hit it. I, I was just like, I've got this. And I jumped uh-huh. on it hard, and I pulled it left. And you can't. You just got to stay in that rhythm. And that taught me right there, stay within yourself. Don't go out there all overconfident, all cocky. Just do your job. Blair, what do you remember about that kick against the Seahawks? Quick. Everything happened very quickly. Um, it seemed very out of rhythm, tempo, everything about it. Um, and I just remember being like, when I assessed it later, I remember thinking, man, if I just slowed down a little bit, just been almost, you know, overly methodical, I would have made it. So I, I always attributed that to a sped up routine, a sped up moment. Um, yeah, it just, it happens. If you play long enough, that stuff happens to you. And been on the side of it where I've hit them before, missed them before. It, it's a euphoric feeling when you make it. And it's truly one of the worst feelings you'll ever experience when you miss it. Because, you know, like we've talked about ad nauseum, your, your opportunities are so limited. You get that right. one opportunity to win it and you miss it and you feel terrible. And you got to go face those guys in the locker room afterwards the next day. And, you know, a lot of times those are obviously hard fought games and you feel terrible. Well, the thing that, that strikes me is that, so you talk about, you know, needing to be a goldfish, right? Like short memory and, and the best DBs, the best cornerbacks have a short memory. They get beat and then they just go line up at the line of scrimmage and next play. And it, you've forgotten about it. A quarterback, same thing. You guys don't have the opportunity, right? Like the, the limited opportunities make it so much harder mentally. I would imagine because you don't just get to go line up and do it again and do it again and do it again. And thank God Mason Crosby did right. The the one thing that I was thinking at the end of that game is that they went to him when frankly, in a fourth and inches situation, I don't know that I would have gone back to Crosby in that situation. I'm not just said, Hey, we've got arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. Like just go get those couple of inches with the game on the line, he got to walk off that field, like having flushed all of that negativity, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that's not something that most guys in your position get a chance to do. I'm going to say this. He didn't flush all that ne- negativity. No, he didn't feel good <laughs> about that game at all. Even nope. after the game winner, you feel like, like a dog because you just put your team through that. <laughs> I mean, flat yeah. out. I mean, and, and you have to learn how to breathe in those situations. I mean, sometimes you're out there not breathing. And uh, so do you carry a missed field goal to the next one? I, you, I'm a liar if I said no. Um, it, it does make the next field goal harder. But how do you compartmentalize that and, and make sure that you are, you're on to, it's how you prepare. It's the confidence you bring into the game so that you know everything you've done prior to that, right, Blair? All off season, all during the week that you've done everything you can to be the best you can. You didn't go out there trying to miss the field goal. 
and you just have confidence in the next one, get the ball down and just kick the ball. You really just have to say, I'm good enough, go kick the ball. Right. And you're employed by an NFL franchise and there's only 32 of you in the world. That doesn't give you confidence going into the game. Then you're just, you're not framing it correctly, to be honest. You're one of the uh, best in the world and you have what you to do. say that to yourself. You yep. do. You know, mm-hmm. it's, look, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough or I wouldn't be here. So just go out there and execute. Yep. And you guys have to say it to yourselves more than most people, because if you go and you open like Twitter or something like that after a game, you are hearing the exact opposite on a regular basis. And when you're making the kicks, people aren't tweeting about that. No, people aren't, you know, calling you up and being like, hey, you're the best kicker. I mean, like Justin Tucker hears that, you know what uh, I mean? But they're only a few yarder will get you that, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> but but how much do you have to tune out everything else? And how hard is that getting the types of responses that you get in social media and just out in public when you're interacting with fans? Now, I think, I mean, Twitter's not a real place. We all know that. Um, It's really not. Uh, It's funny. I never was bothered so much by the social media. It always bothered me when if I was in a, in a bad rut or I, or I missed a few in a row and my coaches or teammates were having to answer questions about my performance, that always bothered me way more than, oh my gosh, the, the Twitter verse or Instagram is crushing you right now. I don't care because most of those people can't do what I do. Um, but the fact that you had teammates or coaches answering questions about your, your performances always made me feel like, all right, I got to get back on track here. And that probably bothered me much more than any of the social media uh, outrage. Blair, I think you might be healthier than a lot of us in terms of being able to accept that. Cause even yeah. though you know it, like I, I I'm the kind of person that, you know, you'll get nine, nine nice things said to me on Twitter. And then there's that one person that says something mean. And I'm like, and it has no basis in reality whatsoever. Right. And I just, just sticks in my craw. And I like go back and forth about whether to respond. Nope. And then, yeah, of course, never respond. But <laughs> never. like, you're like, I'm going to say, no, I'm not. No. And, but like, why am I even giving it the time of day? So kudos to you to being able to just say like that person doesn't know what they're talking about, which of course objectively is the case, but it's just easier said than done. I think what about teammates, Matt? Because so this is the thing too. And we both know that not all teammates think of kickers like, Oh, you're, you're the same. You know what I mean? Like we're all doing the same things at practice. And so therefore like the, and this isn't, this doesn't come from a Colts teammate standpoint thing, but you know, I put up, you know, Google on Twitter or whatever, like a uh, search kicker this morning and all this stuff's coming up about uh, Blankenship and like uh, the Colts, when they get in their locker room, like going after the kicker. And I'm like, they gave up over 300 passing yards and four touchdowns and a two point attempt in the second half. And we're going to talk about the kicker. Like, did you guys ever feel like having those conversations with any teammates or people who might've pointed a finger at you or talked to you? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, 1992, miss a game winner against the Houston Oilers, taking you back Blair. And uh, <laughs> I was born in 90. Does that make you feel better? <laughs> no. It's not cool. So I'm sitting here. I, I, I just missed a game winner and Clay Matthews, the dad. Clay <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue story. Damn, Matt. Yeah, his his rookie year was 1978, right? So, but he played 19 years as a linebacker. I'll give him that. So Clay came up to me. He said, "Stover, uh-uh, don't take that. Here's why. I missed my hole on that fourth and one when they scored. It's not your fault. Yes, you played a part in it, but no, it's not your fault. 
And if your teammates understand that, right, and, and, and most of them do, it's not all your fault, even though that's all you do, you got to consider a, a, a kicker on the team like the sniper in the Army. He's on the roof. He's all by himself. He's got the, the, the ear, you know, the earpiece in his ear waiting for the general or the colonel to tell him to take the shot. But he's not in the trenches with the rest of the guys. But he's out there, got their back. So I took that. And I always said to my quarterback, I got your back. And the quarterback would look at me like, what do you mean you got my back? Well, after you don't get the field goal, I'm a touchdown, I've got your back, you know. So I always wanted to know that the kicker has their back. Because I, I, I'm not in the trenches, but I do have a role. You need to honor that role. And we're going to go out there and win some games. And, hey, we won the Super Bowl 35 because we couldn't score a touchdown, right? And we ended up going to the Super Bowl and winning it. And it was because the defense was great and the offense knew to not turn the ball over. And we ended up winning it. because. And part of it is obviously what you, what you put in on a daily basis, man. I'm sure your teammates saw you in there just as early as them, doing just as much as them in a different capacity. But – all of that leads into how your teammates view you and your coaches view you. And that's why I made the comment earlier of saying that it would always piss me off when they were answering questions about my performance, because they're the people that matter. And, um, but yeah, what you do on a daily basis really defines how your teammates view you and how your, um, your coaches view you. Okay. This season and Matt, you talked about how you had a lot of success in, um, shorter, um, Yardage. Yards and end. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Um, kickers this year are converting just 92% of their extra point attempts this season. That's the lowest success rate since 1979. Interestingly, all but one field goal attempt from the 32, which is extra point distance or closer, have been good. Can you think of a reason why oh, yeah. that would be? Oh, absolutely. In fact, Troy Vincent calls me up when they were thinking about changing the extra point rule from a 20 yard field goal back. And he asked me a question, where would you move it to? And what would you do with a two point conversion? So the first thing I said, Blair to him was says, number one, do not get rid of the play. Just make the play harder because it'll value the position even more. So if you move it back and I said, you put it the ball into 15 and you make it a 33 yard field goal because it's eight yards back. I said, I would have missed out of the 474 in a row that I hit. I mean, Blair, I didn't miss one for 13 years. And it was because, and I always took them serious because I never thought, it, it's a three-foot putt. You can't miss a three-foot putt, but you can, right? Uh, from 20, now you move that ball back to 33 yards, oh, it, it's a five-foot putt now. And it, it, it's easy to miss. And you're going out there thinking to yourself as a kicker, because I've had a 40-yard extra point. Have you ever had a 40-yard extra point, Blair? 48. Mm -hmm. Did you really? Yep. <laughs> freaking out. Did you make it? Crazy. I did. But yeah, it was a weird feeling. And you're freaking out because the expectations on yourself, the sideline and everybody in the stadium is that's an extra point. You got to make an extra point. You can't miss an extra point. You're so right, man. It's expectations. It's expectations. So go ahead. Yeah. So, no, you, so you think that's right. why they're missing the extra point from that distance, but making the field goal attempt from that distance? Mm -hmm. And there's so also a little bit of, of a, uh, I, for lack of a better word, a, a bonus feature to it. Like you hit a 33-yard field goal, it's a field goal. It's worth three points and it matters. And it's, you know, it's what you count up at the end of the season to see how well you did. Make a 33-yard extra point, you should make it. Like there is no bonus. That's what you're supposed to do. So it's... There's a little bit of an aspect of like, I'm doing the exact same task for less, you know, of a reward for my team. It's very weird. It's a, it's a weird feeling. 
Let me ask you this. What are the toughest conditions to kick in? Windy. Windy? Mm -hmm. Windy. Yeah. And golfers too. It's the same thing with golfers. You throw a 48, 48 degree windy day, typical in Cleveland and Baltimore. And I do not miss those days, by the way, Blair. Uh-uh. So, I mean, so that alone, the wind will affect you, your ball more than anything. It restricts the amount of uh, yardage you can kick, uh, everything about it. And, and it even affects the snap in the hole and it can knock that off if it's very windy. Yeah. And because it's so, and because the ball is oblong shaped, it, it kind of, it does pull at the tops and the bottoms of the ball and changes the direction it's moving more so than if it was a round ball, in my opinion. Um, so you have to figure out how to compensate for yep. the wind. Yep. And then, and you can start and Matt knows this too. You can start anything with, with the hold too. I mean, you can have the hold more, more upright if the wind's coming from left to right or vice versa. Um, leaning forward, so, leaning back. Yeah, back. All kinds of things, yep. yeah. There's all certain tricks you can do to, to even accentuate your swing or your trajectory even more to have the ball go in. Pre-game warmups. How relevant are they in terms of what you can do that day? Because we always hear during broadcasts, right? that he was hitting them from 56 yards during pregame warmups as if that's the number for you that day. Like, is yeah. there any correlation? When I was, uh, and this one hits home. When I was a rookie, we had a, we had a veteran long snapper, Cullen Leffler, great guy. Spent, I think 11 years in the league and, um, I was having a good year and we go into the Rams stadium, which was the St. Louis, uh, Edwards dome, I think. And I couldn't make anything from anywhere. Just ball moving, just couldn't hit it. Was had just one of the worst warmups ever. Came off the sideline. Colin could see I was distressed, and he came up to me. And I won't use the language that he used, but he basically just said, "The warmup doesn't determine a damn thing." That's the PG version. And I remember what went on. I made three fifty yarders in one game and went five for five, and we won. And I said, I remember after the game, I looked at him. I was like, "I've never felt more true in a statement than what you just said." It doesn't matter. It's a warmup. You're supposed to get in in rhythm, in timing. It can help but it doesn't necessarily determine one way or the other how you're going to, to play. I typically used it to communicate back to the OC and to the uh, head coach what those what yard line, line of scrimmage it needed to get yep. to. And I would say, do you want my 90% shot? Yep, okay. And then you got to get to the 30-yard line that way and the 33 that way. That's my 90% shot. You, what, what other shot? You know, you need my uh, 50% shot? Okay, well, then, then I'll give them that. So it was, it, for me, it was, it was setting boundaries so that therefore I wouldn't put the team in a vulnerable position based right. on the conditions at hand. Okay, that's another thing I want to know because that's something that came up with the whole Crosby, Matt LaFleur thing this week that we hear a lot, right? Like, so LaFleur went up to Crosby before that last time he trotted him out again and was like, you know, what do you think? And he Don't was, ask I, I got this. that. That's my question. Okay. Have you ever answered it any other oh, way? Than like, I got this. Brian Billick. Listen to this, Blair. Brian Billick loving one of my favorite, nine years with a guy. 1999, the special teams coach that we had wasn't giving him the, those parameters of what I could kick to. I was telling my special teams coach what those parameters were, what yard line. And then he was asked by the head coach, can Stover make it? Right. And the, the special team coach went, uh, 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 <laughs> right. And so what happens is he looks down the sideline and he says, Hey, Stover. I go, yes, sir. Cause look, I've got my finger on the trigger, right? Blair. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm ready. I got, you just tell me to take the shot. Right. That, yeah. That's what you gotta be. And he's that he flat out in front of the whole team. Hey, Stover, can you make it? No, no coach. No, not this <laughs> no, one. I can't. Well, you're cut. No. What do you want me to say? No coach. Give me more. <laughs> of course. And I miss 
like four or five field goals and they, uh, he almost cut me and it was brutal. And I finally went up to him during the course of about the third or fourth game. And I went, Hey coach, if you can just trust me, can I come to you and tell you what those parameters are? And if I can just tell you that not going through my special teams coach, I finally figured it out. And next thing you know, he did. He said, you bet, Matt, I didn't miss another field goal. I did 18 straight. Next year, I kick him into the Super Bowl. That's because those coaches don't get it. You can't ask a kicker if he's going to make it or not. He's, no. You can't, right? It, it's so funny you said that. We had a game in Detroit and um, in a dome. I said 63 yards is my limit. Like, I could do it. It was a realistic shot. Made it in pregame. We're driving down the field to win the game. We are legitimately at 63 yards. Now I'm in my coach's ear going, I got it. There's, I think there were six seconds left. I was like, let's go. I got it. He turns around and goes, I want to get more yards. We fall start, five-yard penalty. He turns around and looks at me and goes, you still got it? Oh, at that point, I'm going to say yes. So I trot on out there for a 68-yard game winner. Spoiler alert, didn't make it. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's just so funny. You have to set the boundaries. At least no one's mad at you with the 68 yarder. I've never, I've never looked at a field goal post and not been able to see the bottom of it. I was that far away. Oh, that's brutal. Right, let me in on a very positive note here. Who are the best kickers in the NFL right now? Who do you love watching do their thing? I'm going to take Justin Tucker off the table <laughs> because right. I think that's an obvious one, right? Like we all agree mm-hmm. that Justin Tucker is the bomb. Who else is, is Blair's very more good? I want to hear his first. I, I've, okay. I've got one guy in mind. A guy that I think is is relied on heavily by his team and hits just an A-plus ball all the time, and this is a surprising answer. I mean, not really. He was an all-pro. It's Jason Sanders in Miami. I think Jason does an excellent job. Um, I know Miami is not necessarily the toughest place to kick, but I I think he does a great job for them. I think the Kansas City kicker, uh, Butterker, what's his – is that – Butterker. But yeah, sorry. You know, I'm I'm so far removed now. But but, uh, uh, he's got a really clean ball, too. Excellent mm-hmm. kicker, great form, uh, and he's big, he's strong. He doesn't have to overpower the ball to get it there. Uh, so I look at him and the type of field goals he's made for that team over the course of his career has been excellent. Yep. Matt Blair, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. This has been fun for me. It's been fun for us nerding out here about kicking. It's never a bad thing. <laughs> Hopefully we didn't drag you through too much trauma. We're the right sniper. Back. We're the sniper in the army. We're really cool guys, man. We're just cool. I like that, Matt. I like that, Matt. I'm going to use that. Well, I thought that was fascinating. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. And you can follow Matt and Blair on Twitter for more of their thoughts in the unreal space that is Twitter. Blair is at Blair Walsh 3 Stover is at Matt three Stover. Both have threes in their handles. I am at Lindsay underscore Rhodes on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Rhodes NFL, and I will be back on Friday with another episode for you. A short one with fantasy advice looking ahead to week six, first week of buys. So it's going to require more maneuvering than the first five weeks have. If you get into a bit of a jam and need some advice about who to pick up in free agency or who to bring up from your bench, that is what the show is designed to help you with. By the way, didn't get them all right last week but man we nailed the Jameis Winston prediction QB5 on the week now if we'd only seen Davis Mills coming anyway if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more please give us a five-star rating and leave a review you can also subscribe please on Apple Podcasts Stitcher Pandora wherever you get your podcasts 
The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app. Free for most subscribers, just download it today and tap podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And a special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. We'll see you Friday. SiriusXM Podcasts.